Elvis Presley. I mean, what? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I mean, you got it all. I was asked to speak a number of weeks ago on prayer, and I, I must tell you, any time that I have to speak on prayer, I do it with fear. I'll leave from this time to go over to Granada High School and stand up in front of 175 students at a campus afternoon Bible study. Absolutely no fear, because, because I'm preaching the gospel. I feel comfortable with that. I can talk about sin. I, I, I can do that, so I'm, I can talk about it, so I, I feel comfortable with that. There's a lot of things in the Christian life that I feel very comfortable with. Prayer is not one of them. Besides that, you've heard great messages on prayer from great men. There's really not a lot I could add that you probably haven't already heard. Jesus' pattern of prayer. Great prayers from the Old Testament. Things we need to understand. Unanswered prayers. You've heard all that stuff. I don't know that I can add anything to that. It's not easy to speak on prayer. Let me show you why. Just watch. Ask you a question. How many of you would say, in my own prayer life, I need to do better. I need to do better in my own prayer life. How many would say that's true of me? Go ahead and raise your hand up. Hold your hand. No, hold your hand up. I need to do better in my own prayer life. You see, all of us feel that. And to some extent this morning, I want to talk about why we don't pray. Before we do that, let's go before the Lord and ask His blessing. Father, we come before You recognizing You are the King of the universe. You sit upon the throne. Father, that's not just a title that we throw around flippantly. We recognize that today the very life and breath we have comes from you. And so, Father, we ask as we open your word that you would reveal yourself to us. And as we see you, we would be moved to seek you. Thank you for these students, Lord. Thank you for their love for you. Thank you that they desire to have a more significant prayer life, as do I. And Lord, we pray that you would meet with us in a special and intimate way. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Why don't we pray? You know what? It's not because we're too busy. Nope. It's not because we're too busy. It's not because we're bad. We may be ignorant. It's not because of our roommates. If I had different roommates, boy, those guys are jerks. How could we ever pray? It's not because of the people next door. It's not because you can't get a date. If I could get a date, I'd pray. And God, I'll, fact, I'll make a deal with you, God. If I could get a date, I'll, pray. I'll become a nun, God. I don't care. One date. Give me a rock, God. If I could get a rock, I'll do anything. Nope. Think about it. All of those things may contribute, some more than others. But that's not why we don't pray. I'd like to give you four reasons this morning why we don't pray. I believe those reasons are contained within Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Please, if you have your Bibles there, you turn to Daniel chapter 9. We're looking at Daniel, Daniel the prophet, Daniel the prime minister, Daniel the man of faith, Daniel the prayer warrior. Perhaps 
the purest man in the Old Testament. There's nothing contained in the book of Daniel that smears his character. There's nothing there that would show us anything. When we look at Daniel, we walk away going, Lord, that's an awesome guy. And there's a danger here. The danger is this. Anytime we open the scriptures up and we begin to look at great men of God, the danger is we shut off. I can't do that. I can't be that. I compare myself to that, so I shut off. I quit. I can't preach like Dr. MacArthur, so I, I won't try. I can't pray like Daniel. I can't be like Elizabeth Elliot, so I quit. I don't want to look at Daniel for the purpose of comparison. I want to learn principles from the life of Daniel that apply to you. We want to look at Daniel's life and see why he was a man of prayer and learn why we don't pray. The background of Daniel chapter 9, we find ourselves here as we start the ninth chapter. It's about 538 B.C. We know that because over and over Daniel gives us clues to the history. And he says here in the first year of Darius, the son of Ashuerus, Darius had been appointed king over the Babylonian realm by Cyrus who had come in and taken the kingdom from Belshazzar, the son of Nabonus, the son of Nebuchadnezzar. And so we find Daniel 67 years in captivity in a foreign land. Four kings, two kingdoms. Important to note, no temple, no priests, no family. Hostile opposition to his faith, and in spite of all this, he is a great man of prayer. Well, how do you know that, Walter? How can you say he's a great man of prayer? Just because he's included in the Bible, so he's a great man of prayer? No. Daniel chapter 2, 18, at 15 years old. Daniel faced with the loss of his own life and the life of his friends because they can't come up with the dream and interpret the dream, goes to his friends and says, let's pray that God would give us wisdom to interpret this dream. And God does. And at 15 years old, his first move is to go to God in prayer. And the same way that Daniel starts his life as a man of prayer, he finishes his life. And when we find him here 67 years later, he is still a man of prayer. He started praying, he finished praying. He's a significant man to look at. He's also a man of prayer because we see him in Daniel chapter 6 where the jealousy on the part of those who serve with him wants to pull him down. And so they come up with a plot. But they recognize they can't bring any attack against his character except, as the scripture says, in relation to the law of his God. So they come up with a no prayer law. Why? Because they know he's a man of prayer. And in verse 10 it says that according to his custom, as he had done previously... As soon as the law was signed, he went right back up, got on his knees, faced Jerusalem. Why did he face Jerusalem? Because the scriptures contained information that he knew that when they were dispersed according to Deuteronomy, he was to turn and to look back to Jerusalem, praying that God would restore his glory in Jerusalem. Three times a day. Thrown in the lion's den, and the men who came up with the plot learned that the God who Daniel sought on his knees was the God who was sovereign over all things. Daniel already knew that. Didn't fear the law. This is a man of prayer. You know what's one of the most beautiful things I saw as I studied the book of Daniel? In Daniel chapter 9, verse 21, Daniel receives an incredible answer to his prayer. And he says it was about the time of the evening offering that Gabriel came and answered his prayer. Think about that. The time of the evening offering. Offering where? There's no temple. There's no priesthood. 
There's no feasts, there's no festivals, there's nothing. But for 67 years carried precious in the heart of this man is the temple of his God because of the word of his God. This is a man of prayer. And we have a tremendous privilege this morning, students. That is to open up the word of God and to step into man's prayer closet. As it were, we come to Daniel's prayer closet and open the door slowly and peek in and we learn some things about a man who has intimate fellowship with God, the kind of fellowship that you and I desperately want. Because if you're a Christian this morning and you love Jesus Christ, then you want that fellowship and you want to seek Him. And yet you would say, as I would say many times, I do not seek Him as I wish I would. Daniel has a lifetime of prayer that comes to Daniel chapter 9. He's a man of prayer. And can I tell you what? Men of prayer are hard to find. Even in the scriptures, at no place does it say Daniel was a man of prayer. At no place did Daniel claim to be a man of prayer. But if you study his life, you see it over and over and over again. I would submit to you there are men in our world that are just like that. We don't know they're men of prayer because they don't go around telling us they get up at 4 a.m. to pray. They don't tell us what their prayer list is. They don't tell us all the things to do. They're just up. Seeking God's face. Hard to find. But when you find one, study him. And we have one here today to look at. We're listening in on a prayer that wasn't prayed for us. Daniel didn't pray this prayer for us because he knew we'd be listening in. We watch and listen to the intimate fellowship of a man who's walked with God for 70 years. That's awesome. What can we learn from Daniel? Let me give you four principles, what we can learn from Daniel. You say, wait a minute, you were going to tell us why we don't pray. I am and I will, but wait. Let's look at Daniel, see what we can learn from Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ashuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. For the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem namely 70 years. Now, interesting. Evidently, somehow Daniel had gotten a hold of at least Jeremiah chapter 25 and Jeremiah chapter 29 because in those two places, Jeremiah prophesied that the captivity would last 70 years. Now, we know Jeremiah originally wrote the book. It was destroyed. He must have rewritten it. And somehow, in all those ensuing years, the copies had found their themselves into the hands of David, or excuse me, in the hands of Daniel. And Daniel's studying those. You know what blows me away? What is Daniel? Daniel is a what? What is he? A Republican? No, he's not a Republican. He's a prophet. He'd probably vote Republican. No, he's a prophet. I'm just checking. Just want to make sure you're there, all right? He's a prophet. Think about that. He receives oral revelation from God. This is a man to whom God speaks and God directs and he gives us the scriptures. And here's a man who receives the words of God given to us and he's searching the scriptures. And he doesn't even have all the scriptures. He's just got pieces. Searching. And he says in verse 2, the word of the Lord. First time in Daniel that he uses that word, the word Lord there. Yahweh, the highest name he could come up with for God. You know why? Because at the point that he says the highest name of God, what's God's highest revelation? His word. And Daniel the prophet was studying and seeking and searching out the word, a man whom God spoke to. Why is Daniel a man of prayer? Number one, because he searched, treasured, and studied 
the Word of God. He searched out, treasured, and studied the Word of God. Daniel understood that his words revealed him. Here was a man who had direct access to God himself, and yet he sought the Word. Because he understood his words reveal him. And not only that, if you look at what happens from verse 2, that this is a stimulus to prayer, because in verse 3 he begins to pray. He moves right from understanding the scriptures to prayer. Why is Daniel a man of prayer? Number one, he knew the word. He knew the word. Second principle. It's found in verses 3 and 4. So I gave attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Why else is Daniel a man of prayer? Not only because he understood, treasured, and sought out the God of the Scriptures, he understood the majesty, authority, and love of God. He understood the majesty, the authority, and the love of God. In verse 4 he says, And I prayed to the Lord my God, different word, Adonai. It's the word that deals with God's sovereignty, that he's master. And he says, you're the sovereign king. You're the one who rules the universe. And if anybody had the right to say that, it was Daniel who had had to sit under the realms of so many kings who supposedly ruled the world. And yet Daniel said, I understand, God, that you rule the kings who think they rule. Daniel approaches God because he understands the power, the authority, and the sovereignty of God. Look what he says to him. Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God. Now remember, we're peeking into his prayer closet. He doesn't know we're here. And his approach to God is not one that for 70 years, hey, we're buddies, hey, dude, up in the sky, how you doing, big dodger up there, what's going on? The great and awesome God. Why? Because he understood how the word revealed him and he saw him work. He understood the majesty, the authority of God. Great and awesome deals with his sovereign power, that he is creator, owner, author of the universe. That's important in prayer. Why? Because it says God has the power to act. He has the power to act. At no point in time over five years ago when my son was born at one pound ten ounces, in an intensive care unit with 12 lines hooked up to him. At no point in time did I ever doubt the fact that God had the power to intervene and do an absolute miracle. And yet I also understood he may choose not to. We praise him because according to the doctors, my son wouldn't live. And if he did, he'd be blind. And if he did, he'd have cerebral palsy. And today he has none of those things. He's just real small. About 12 inches high. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, just checking. It's like a circus thing. Where did he go? Okay. I just, every so often, I just want to make sure, okay? But at no point in time did my wife and I ever doubt that he had the power to act. And we watch people come in the intensive care unit and just give up and walk away. We watch people get divorces because they just said, we can't deal with this. And we said, we can't deal with it either. But we know a God who has the power to act. And Daniel was a man of prayer, not only because he knew the word, but he knew him. He says great and awesome, and that's not all he says, because great and awesome puts him out there. That word could also be translated dreadful. He's out there. He's the holy God. He's the consuming fire. He has the power, but can I approach him? Look what he says. He keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Keeps covenant. 
That is, we'll never keep the covenant. We'll always break the covenant. So God himself keeps the covenant because he has mercy on us, because he loves us. Loving kindness, has said, loyal to us, regardless of us. So he has the power to act, and listen to this, the kindness to listen. Daniel understood that. And at this point in time, 67 years into the captivity, and Jeremiah says 70 years and there'll be a decree and people will go home, the prophet's heart is overjoyed because for 67 years he's prayed and said, God, restore your city. And now he sees the end. And he immediately goes to his God, the only person with the power to act and the kindness to listen. Daniel was a man of prayer because he understood the word, he understood the majesty, the authority, and the love of God. And third... He understood the sinfulness of man. Verse 5, Daniel says, We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from thy commandments and ordinances. And for the next 11 verses, Daniel details the sins of Israel. And at every single point, he says, We, 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 we. Can I ask you a question? The scriptures record no sin as far as we know, as far as Daniel's concerned. How is it that Daniel says, we've rebelled, we've acted wrongly, we haven't listened to the prophets? Daniel's a what? Prophet. He says, we haven't listened to the prophets. Do you know why? Daniel's nearness to the greatness of God caused him to be sensitive to sin. No one can walk in the white light of God's glory and not be humbled. Can I tell you what? If you're not humble, you're not broken, you're not sensitive to your sin, it's completely evident that you don't walk in His glory. Because if you did, you'd be sensitive to it. Here's a man with a pure life, and yet he is broken about sin before God and includes himself in there. And he sees the sin for what it is. He understood Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Daniel understood the sinfulness of man, and you know what? Daniel didn't want anything to keep God from moving. He understood the sins of the people, and he sought God. So he knew the Word. He knew Him. He knew himself. Last principles in Verses 17 through 19. Read those with me. He comes to the end of his prayer and he says this. Interesting that less than an eighth of Daniel's prayer is contained in request. The rest of it is worship, confession, and request. So now our God, listen to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications and for thy sake, O Lord. Let thy face shine on thy desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we are not presenting our supplications before thee on account of any merits of our own, but on account of thy great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for thine own sake. O my God, do not delay because thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Daniel was a man of prayer. Because he understood that prayer is about glorifying God. Look what he says. Answer it because of thy name. Answer it for thy sake. Answer it for thy name's sake. Because of thy name. 
He desired to bring glory to God. So what are the principles we learned for Daniel quickly before we ask the question, why don't we pray? Daniel knew the word. And I don't mean intellectually knew it. Because we see the alpha of it. And can I tell you what? The danger of Christian education is that we know it, but we don't know it. Daniel knew it. He knew him. He knew himself. He knew his purpose in prayer. So why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? And again, I recognize this. I'm not saying we don't pray, we don't do anything. Again, the desire of our lives is always, Lord, how can I honor you more? And one of the weakest areas we all face in our own personal devotions is our prayer life. So why don't we pray? Let's back up to what we just learned about Daniel. Number one, I give you four reasons why we don't pray. Number one, we have a superficial, intellectual, or a comfortable view of the scriptures. A superficial, intellectual, or a comfortable view of the scriptures. Folks, Daniel had pieces and he sought them out. We have the complete word from him. And many times it sits like a textbook on a shelf. Daniel was a prophet. Direct revelation from God, and yet he sought God. That's important for Christian liberal arts students. Years ago, I went to Bible college. I ended up going to Bible college because somebody told me, hey, you really seem to have a desire and aptitude for the Word. Why don't you get into ministry? Because, see, when I got saved... I used to go down to the public library and I didn't know any Christians and I didn't have any Christian books and I didn't have any tapes and I didn't have any records and I didn't have anything. All I had was a Bible. And I'd sit at the library and I'd read it for hours. Hours. Then I went to Bible college. And I found out you don't have to do that. You can get commentaries, you can get all kinds of other stuff. Those things are good. You can debate theology after theology class. You can argue about these things. It's kind of fun. I mean, before, when I didn't know any better, I used to just open it up and seek Him and say, God, I want to know You. I just want to know You. But then I got to Bible college, and I found out it didn't have to be that way. And there was a time in Bible college career where I got on my knees, and I said, God, please forgive me that it's become academic, that it's become intellectual, that it's become cold. Is that true of us? Folks, it's the word that moves us to pray, for it alone reveals the God whom we seek. There's no place else. That's it. And I just have to ask you, when you get up in the morning to open this book, do you open it? Is there a sense of awe? I mean, what an awesome thing to think. That Daniel didn't have what I have. And yet he sought it out, he studied it, he said it's the word of God, and he was a prophet, and I'm not. And yet I have it all. Francis Schaeffer wrote a few months before he died, God's word will never pass away. But looking back to the Old Testament and since the time of Christ with tears, we must say that because of the lack of fortitude and faithfulness on the part of God's people, God's word has many times been allowed to be bent 
to conform to the surrounding, passing, changing culture of the moment rather than to stand as the inerrant word of God, judging the form of the world and the surrounding culture. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, may our children and our grandchildren not say that such can be said about us. If we had a passion and a love for this book, if I had a passion and a love for this book that was like Daniel's, I could pretty much guarantee that you and I would both be men and women of prayer. What's the second reason that we don't pray? What do we learn from Daniel? We fail to understand the power and majesty and love of God. We fail to understand the power, majesty, and love of God. We see that in Daniel. He understood it. He saw it. He asked God. He watched God work. He said, you're the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and loving kindness. We forget, the scriptures say, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all in the heaven and all in the earth is Thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and Thou art exalted as head above all, and Thou reignest over all. First Chronicles 29. Or, O Lord, God of our fathers, art Thou not God in heaven? And rulest not thou over the kingdoms of the heathen, and thine hand is not power and might, so that none, not even the devil himself, is able to withstand thee? The God who has made everything, who sustains everything, who owns everything, who controls everything, is interested in you and concerned about you. This is a staggering thought. The power of God is the power to act in our lives change us, to change history. But it isn't just our power that should draw us to Him. It's the infinite love that has been demonstrated to us in Christ. The love that's uninfluenced. Think about that. The Bible says there was everything in you to repel God. Romans 5 says that we were useless, helpless sinners, enemies of God. And yet, that didn't repel Him. Why? Because he wasn't looking at me. It was his love because it's uninfluenced. He loved me, not because of what I am. That's the kind of love that draws you to him, that makes you want to be with him, that makes you want to seek him out. His love is eternal. Ephesians 1 says, In love he predestined us. Before I even was, he loved me. His love is unchanging. He said, Jacob I love. That just blows me away. Jacob I love. Esau I hated. Jacob I love. Jacob. That rascal Jacob who spent most of his life running from God, doing what he wanted to do. And yet, God said, my love abides on you. That's the kind of love that should draw us to him. If we understood the greatness of God and the depth of his love, we would run to him, seek him, thirst for him. During the Kennedy administration, almost daily, there was a scene that would startle people. Because down the long corridor to the Oval Office, with Secret Service men all the way down the hallway, and two Secret Service men at the door, and a meeting with world leaders, a little boy would pass unhindered. He would walk past each of the Secret Service guards turn around the corner into the secretarial office, walk past them, no one telling him to stop, 
walking past world leaders crawling around the desk and climbing up into the lap of the president. John Jr. would do that daily. Why? Because he was a child of the father who had access to the most important man in the world. We have that same access, but sometimes we forget about the God whom we have that access. Why don't we pray? Thirdly, we fail to understand our own sinfulness. What was Daniel's example? Daniel was the last man to claim any merit of his own because he lived so close to God that he recognized what an unworthy creature he was and he could only throw himself upon the mercy of an almighty God. Again, if we had a clear glimpse of ourselves, we would run to him. Why? Because we need his forgiveness. We need his cleansing. We need his power to work in our lives to make us what we are not. You know more than anybody else in here that list of things you wish you weren't. You carry it with you. Nobody else sees it. And yet going to God, God can change those things, but only when we recognize our true state. You know the saddest thing to me, the saddest thing I ever see anytime I go and speak is to see those people who are in the audience that are just kind of here. <laughs> what do you got? You don't even have any good stories. I ain't listening. <laughs> and you know what? You feel so bad. You know why? Because you can't reach them. You know why? Because they have such an enlarged view of themselves that the awesomeness of God could never touch them. I would submit to you that Isaiah, when he came into the temple and saw the holiness of God, fell at God's feet and said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Habakkuk, when he challenged God and said, God, how could you use someone less righteous to judge someone more righteous? And God revealed himself in Habakkuk. Repent. Peter, when Jesus did the miracle and all the fish came into the boat, what did Peter do? He fell at his feet and he said, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Why? Because he saw the power of God. We need his cleansing. And if we understood the real truth about ourselves, we would pray, we would seek Him. We could not but seek Him. Why don't we pray? Because we have a superficial, an intellectual, or a comfortable view of the Word. We fail to understand the power, the majesty, and the love of God. And we fail to understand our own sinfulness. Last, why don't we pray? I fail to understand the purpose of prayer. Sometimes we think, along with that noted theologian, M.C. Hammer, okay, we got to pray just to make it today. <gasps> I was just going to see if you could do that. I didn't know. Okay, okay good. That's, you don't need to know him. You don't want to know him. Okay. making sure she was paying attention, okay. I mean, think about that. We got to pray just to make it today. Is that what prayer is about? Is prayer just about request? Is it just about asking? Is it just about getting answers? Is it just about seeking, self-seeking? Is that what prayer is about? No, I don't think so. What was Daniel's example? God, answer, why? 
your name, your glory, your temple, your people, that you might be honored among the nations. He prayed that prayer for 67 years. If I recognize that glorifying God is the reason I seek Him, it will radically change my prayer life. Why? Because I recognize that apart from Him, I can't glorify Him. And if my purpose is to glorify Him, then I'm going to have to seek Him that He might glorify Himself through me. Therefore, I must pray. And I don't not pray because I'm busy or because of my roommates or because of my schedule. I pray because I forgot what prayer is. The intimate fellowship with the God of the universe that he might reveal himself to me and glorify himself through me and use me to glorify him. You know what's interesting here? It's all hooked together, isn't it? Because when we realize that the word itself shows me the majesty, the authority, and the awesomeness of God, And when I see the majesty, the authority, and the awesomeness of God, I see my own sin. And when I see my own sin, I'm moved to seek God for His glory because I recognize I can't do it. It's all tied together. I was speaking with some RAs. I was asking them, what's the prayer state of the campus? They said, well, there are people that are praying, but their feeling, they said it, not me. People maybe are apathetic. The issue of revival is never that you're apathetic. The issue of revival is, am I apathetic? Young people all over this country, churches are desperate for men and women who understand and know God because they know His Word. And we can point fingers at the pragmatists, and we can point fingers at the psychologists, and we can point fingers at the methodologists and the people who want to use telemarketing to do the church. We can point fingers at all those people, but can I tell you what? God Himself will only point back to us and ask us, did you seek my face in my Word? Did you understand the majesty, authority, and love of God that you had access to the King of kings and Lord of lords and I loved you and gave you that access and you cannot lose my love and you can't gain it, you have it, you possess it. See, we're like those people who Dr. MacArthur uses the illustration of the man who saves his whole life to buy a ticket on a cruise ship. And as he buys that ticket, he recognizes he doesn't have enough to pay for the food on the cruise ship. And so he packs his little sandwiches with him to go off on his cruise. And the day he leaves, he's so excited. And each day he goes back to his little bundle and he eats his sandwich. But the whole time, he sees these huge plates of food being taken up and down the hallways. And people just eating to their heart's content. And day after day, the sandwiches get a little staler. A little more moldy. And finally he throws the sandwiches down. He stops the steward and he says, What must I do to get some of that food? And the steward looks at him and says, Sir, do you not have a ticket? Yes, I do. Well, the food's included in the price of the ticket. 
You see, the motivation to pray and the lack thereof isn't because you're too busy. It's not because of your roommates. It's not because you're bad. I promise you this. If you had a glimpse of the awesomeness of God and the only place you'll ever get a glimpse of that is in His Word, and as you saw that awesomeness and you were moved to your own sinfulness, you would do nothing but pray. And then, folks, it wouldn't just be a day of prayer, which is a great thing. Every day would be a day of prayer. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. This message caused me a considerable amount of brokenness in my own heart. And it was not my intention to preach it in a judgmental way. And if I did, I, I apologize for that. But I would ask you this morning. Do you treasure the gift that's been given to you, the Word of God? And I don't just mean treasure it intellectually so that you can argue for the points of the faith. Do you treasure it to the point where you seek it in the morning that you might see His face? And in seeing His face, fellowship with Him. And in fellowshipping with Him, recognizing your own sin and His abundant provision of forgiveness. And because of that fellowship, growing in your ability to pray for His glory. See, the issue, students, is repentance. And I believe that there's probably those that are here this morning who, in regards to their view of the Word, it's become comfortable, intellectual. Just because we can rightly divide it doesn't mean we love it. We show we love it when we obey it. Have you forgotten about the God, His awesome majesty, His incredible love that gives you access that you might come right into His presence, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ? And do you pray with the sole desire that you might glorify God? Father, in this quiet moment, we come before you on our knees, bowing before your throne, recognizing, Lord, that none of us has anything to bring to you. And really, all we bring to you is Jesus. He is our advocate, our redeemer, our savior, our master, our friend. Lord, I thank you so much for the things that I have learned in the life of Daniel. I pray, Father, that we would seek your face through your word. And that you would change us and reflect your image through us to a lost and dying world, Father, that we might be lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Thank you for these students, Lord, and their love for you. Use them, Father, as great men and women who change the world because we started on our knees. Cause us to be men and women who speak to you about men before we speak to men 
about you. Father, we thank you for the awesomeness of your word, the power of your spirit to change us, to make us men and women who can pray more effectively. Thank you for your love and your patience with us. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said...